0: This is the Hot Stove Report.
1: Going, going, goodbye
2: baseball!
0: On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle
1: app. Hello everybody and welcome to our very first edition of Hot Stove, coming to you live From the Mariners Team Store in Bellevue Square before a cheering cast of thousands. Everybody doing their holiday shopping. There we go. Welcome, everybody. I'm Rick Riz, along with Mike Blowers and Shannon Dreyer and uh, Gary Hill, Jr., along with the Mariner Moose and our special guest uh, for the first hour coming up is going to be uh, mariners gm jerry depoto we're going to be talking with jerry a lot about uh, what has happened over the last uh, few days down in sunny hi moose giving everybody a high five here at the mariners team store doing a lot of business right now getting ready for the 2020 season we're going to talk with jerry about the last few days just back from sunny san diego california for the uh, uh, winter meetings that's always a lot of fun where the Free agents finally find out where they're going to go. Now you're going to be talking about trades and things like that. But Jerry was as busy as anybody last year getting ready you know, to move this organization forward. It was kind of quiet over the last uh, few days. So we'll talk about what happened with Jerry and the ball club over the last few days down at the winter meetings in San Diego. So we have a lot to talk about, but right now... This reminder, this holiday season, stop by the Mariners Team Store for the largest selection of exclusive Mariners apparel and Game used memorabilia with five convenient locations, including T-Mobile Park, downtown Seattle at 4th and Stewart, Bellevue Square right here, Alderwood Mall, and Westfield Center. You're sure to find something for everyone on your list. So again, welcome to Shannon and to Mike and to Gary. Shannon, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, you getting ready for the holidays right now.
3: Yes, and it's a good thing we're shopping. here because I'm looking around and I'm seeing some things that will be in stockings and under the tree here at the Mariner's Team Store.
1: Yeah, a lot of my friends are going to get some great Mariner's stuff. Mike, what what's the off-season been like uh, for you, buddy?
2: It's been busy, to tell you the truth. Time has flown by. Um, As you know, my wife, Nicole, she's had some issues that she's had to deal with, so we've had to work our way through that. She's doing great, by the way. Everything's going really, really good. And so in between things that she's been going through, we've made a lot of trips to Arizona to see the sunshine, so we've been back and forth. And fortunately for me, my kids are old enough now to where she handles all of that. So Shannon may be doing some shopping. I am definitely not.
1: (laughs) I'm out. Well, we're here. We're in the right spot. And, Gary, uh, I know things are starting to heat up right now because this is our first edition of Hot Stove, and we're going to be talking baseball for a long time between now now. And uh, hopefully into October.
4: Yeah, and the show's gone really well so far, I think. This is very exciting. <laughs> Congratulations yeah. on your beard, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: folks, uh, Gary's sporting some winter fur.
4: Yeah, I thought, you know, I'd have an off-season project. And I think it's gone really well, you yeah. know. It's, uh, it's coming in nicely. We've got to pick a color, though. Blow has already said... The <laughs> <laughs> <Blow,
3: laughs> neighbor I... cat that is about the same colors as the beard. <laughs>
4: Blow, Blow has already said he does not want to see it for the regular season, so... His vote's in.
1: Yeah. I kind of like it. I think it looks, it looks uh, very Fitting very in good the winter, yeah. Exactly. Northwest, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, i tell you what. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking some baseball right now, but we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with uh, Mariners general manager. He's ready to go, Jerry Depoto. We'll be back with Jerry as the hot stove gets underway live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square right after these messages. All things Mariners, all
0: off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle,
4: 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app.
1: Say, friends, give the gift of Mariners baseball this holiday season. Single game tickets are on sale now, which means... You can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day, series against the Yankees, Phillies, and World Series champion Washington Nationals, plus more fireworks shows than ever before. Stop by Mariners.com today. And again, welcome to Hot Stove. We are broadcasting live from the Mariners team store here at Bellevue Square. In Bellevue, Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, and our special guest, Fresh back from beautiful San Diego, California in the winter meetings, Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto. Jerry, welcome to our first hot stove.
0: I'm thrilled to be here. It's it's good to be in somewhere where they're doing more business than we were doing in San Diego. So we, we were quiet, apparently, uh, more so than the industry around us. I hope the team shop is doing better during the holidays. It well, looks like they are.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. you. You kind of expected a quiet uh, winter meetings the year before. You were busy, a lot of trades. Uh, is that what what you pretty much expected when you went down there and how many calls did you get from other clubs
0: uh you know you always get some calls from other clubs inquiring on players and and we'll answer we always do and you know we knew going in that we were going to be fairly quiet we weren't particularly quiet in the week or 10 days no. leading up to the meetings yeah. and just before Thanksgiving we got a lot of our business done and you know we knew what we wanted 2020 to be about, which was, was ramping up to give so many of our young players opportunity to play. And, and it's really tough if you go out and acquire veteran players to give the young players right. a chance. And, and it's really tough to project what you might look like in 21 and 22 if you don't give the experience to those young players.
3: Jerry, one of the things that you said after one of the, the days down there was you were receiving a lot of inquiries on the veteran players and not as many on the young players, which was a reverse for you. And you said, hey, apparently they got the message here. Um, this is a somewhat loaded question. You're probably knowing who I'm kind of asking about. But what do you look at when it comes to a veteran player and your approach on that?
0: You know, I, I mean, we always answer, and we, we were approached on Kyle Seeger, on Mitch Haniger, uh, and we've been hit all winter long on all three of our catchers. Despite the fact that, I, that with with the exception of Omar, who now has three years of service, none of the other guys were really veterans. They're they're one year players or zero plus players, but we were hit on all of them. And uh, you know, I, I think we've been hit a fair bit on Marco. I I, I think that's uh, representative of the fact they're good players. I also think it's representative of the fact that it's clear to the league around us that we're building for the long term, and you know, if if we can collect enough good young players and pull them up, we feel like this will turn around. But we really do want to maintain, you know, a, a, a core group of veteran players, and it's a small core, but that, that can help usher this young group through, and and. Marco is a great example. He's, uh, is, he's a good player. He's been a, a really quality starter for us these last two years, done a phenomenal job on the mound, and, and he represents so much. It, two guys like Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn and Logan Gilbert, even say Kikuchi, despite the fact that he's coming over as a veteran professional player himself. So it's it's important for us to keep those players around. And, you know, Kyle Seeger, Mitch Hanniger, they've been great examples of what we're looking for out of our player, whether it's just showing up to do your work every day or really thinking the game in, in a modern way. So I, 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 we do value those players, but we're always going to answer the phone. And then we have to weigh in our calculus uh, what the, the value of what these players can do for us now or what they can do for us in the future by providing, uh, I, I guess – young players that a year, two years, three years from now can really crest. And it's sensitive balance that we're trying to
2: achieve. You've talked about that and and last year going through it and you're going to continue this year going down that path. I guess my question would be, and you guys aren't there yet, but when you look at free agents and the signings that have been going on, which everybody has been talking about, which for me I think is great just because baseball's out there in front of everybody, but do you anticipate the free agents because last year it was so slow and hard for those guys to find a job that that will continue through the winter, or will it slow back down again?
0: Well, uh, like We're almost out now. They've, they've <laughs> about tapped out. The, the, the last week or ten days, but even just the last month, has been a flurry, very yeah. different than anything we've seen even in the last four or five years. And we were talking at the the winter meetings uh, about the last time we saw winter meetings w- with even a, a, a big signing at, at any point. It's probably been six or eight years since the winter meetings, I, I guess, developed in such a way that, that every day was exciting, big signings. And uh, this year was like that. You didn't know what was coming next. I think there was, I mean, one day... It, Scott Boris players achieved yeah. something in the neighborhood of about seven hundred fifty million dollars worth of contracts, which is phenomenal. And, and and each one of them got what we generally thought they were going to get, so it was uh, or, or more, which is indicative
4: of a of a healthy game with with great players available on the market. As you just mentioned, you came from the winter meetings. What are the mechanics like for you there? Is it? Are like all the gms thrown into one room like a middle school dance and kind of stand around and look at each other or i mean how does it work with with everyone down there at one time uh, it, well, there are
0: thousands of people uh-huh. from, you know from all around the baseball world that that come together. Ryan Roland Smith, our very own, was yeah, down there yeah. this year uh, for a bit looked like a fish out of water, but then started <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean thousands of people this year there were a fair number of players because there are many players that, that make their home in the San Diego area and just decided to pop over and see what it was like but uh, representatives from minor league baseball around the globe, from international baseball, Asian leagues, from every major league club. Each club sends somewhere in the neighborhood, I'd say, of about 30 or 35 different people uh, that represent anything from you know, procurement staff to, to trainers and doctors to the baseball operations groups. And effectively, the, the three days are set up. You go through, you know, industry meetings of some sort. I'm on a couple of different MLB committees. So you'll have to make time, two, three hours for those. Uh, I sat on a couple of panels and, and we went through, a, for instance, a panel on, on diversity in baseball. And, and uh, that was really fun talking about the different ways that we can transition diverse candidates, former players into the front office and, and start developing former players as long-term baseball people, which is right up my alley. That's, that's kind of what I do. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's 72 hours where typically you don't sleep a lot. And in between all the little meetings and, and one-offs, you're meeting with agents, you're holding staff meetings with your group, talking about what's developing in the market. And then you're meeting with agents and sometimes on through until the small hours of the morning. And It's great, and and we do make time for the media, at least for for a half hour or so every day. Well, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) We
4: appreciate that. But, you know,
2: I I didn't realize that that many people from the organization go down to these things and that there are that many people there. So for somebody like yourself that has so much on your plate anyway— do you have a small group of guys that are out there listening to other groups of guys before they ever get to you on potential deals or things that are going on? Does it work something like that, or is that not part of it?
0: So when I first started going to the general to the to the, to the winter meetings as a scout uh, and this is dating back, actually my first winter meetings would have been as a front office, what I would have called the most the, the highest paid intern in the history of front office uh, work. I, I I retired in spring training and effectively I got paid my player salary to work in the front office. And uh, that was my transition in and it, it was it, it was really cool because what you did as as the young guy or the the inexperienced guy is just work the lobby you found out in a game of telephone what the other teams were looking to do, who might be interested in your players, you're touching base with anything from writers to scouts with other teams to front office personnel that are down there. And over time that's really dried up. And and I think it's in the in the tech age that we're in with social media, with so many different third-party reporters that that the information that we're getting publicly is pretty close to spot on. We don't need you know, we, we don't need to go down and, and practice espionage in the lobby. All we have to do is pull up our smartphone and say, yeah. what's, what's on trade rumors today?
1: Jerry, years ago I went to the winter meetings, I think it was 1976, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And, and back in, in those days, it was all about trades. Free agency was just in its infancy stage. So it was a, a trade for a major league player for a major league player, and a lot of things are different right now. Bill Veck put up a little card table in the lobby and said, I'm open for business, and started wheeling and dealing. Now it's a lot different, as you just pointed out. And very quickly, how does a deal get made?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, there are so many different ways. First, I'll share that on that story, that Bill Veck story, yeah. um, one of my former teammates, workmate, uh, the great Roland Heeman Hall of Famer, yeah. worked with and for Bill Veck at that time. And he told me the story of that event. He said, he said Bill was sick of sitting around in the room. The, the, he wanted something to happen and moved the needle for the White Sox. So he pulled up a coffee table, and he went and got a hardline telephone with, with the extended cord and pulled it across the lobby and put it on the the table with a sign that said, Open for oh, Business. Open for business, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and he made some trades. <laughs> they did. Uh, you know, I think that how a trade is made, it's you make the original or initial contact uh, sometime right around the end of the season oftentimes before but typically right around the end of the season we make our first off-season run where we will divide the league up and when i say we me justin hollander our assistant general manager occasionally tom allison our vp of scouting uh we will call through the league the different teams and just touch base what are you trying to do do you see a match with us and you know somebody might looking to be uh, looking for right hand outfield help and now we we have some surplus there and you just start talking about matches and and uh you know a team like us right now our our message to other teams is that we're really focused on building a young core here we're we're building around this young group we'll talk about our veteran players if you see matches there and and, and it it gets it gets the spark and and sometimes one or two phone calls later you've got something going sometimes it is months in the making and yeah. and uh you know in in essence it's where the the garrett cole the, the white whale references come from yeah. i can't tell you how many times that there's at least a dozen players in the league that i've made no less than 100 phone calls trying to trying to acquire them through the years yeah. and you, there's just certain guys you like the fit you like the player and And you become a pest and and my general thought is, is if if you just keep on <laughs> you keep on knocking on the door sooner or later, they might give it to you just hey, okay, so you don't okay. you 'll stop knocking yeah
3: you mentioned that the, with the deals that you saw, they came in around where you thought they would see them. What was kind of the talk behind the scenes about the why there was so much activity this year? You
0: know, first, I think it was an extraordinarily good free agent class and and uh, you know especially in the era of contract extensions with young players and and tying guys up into their thirties, it's really hard to, to get to the point where there's a, a free agent class like this, where you've got Garrett Cole and Steven Strasberg and Anthony Rendon. And, and I could go on and on Madison Bumgarner. There's, there's stars all over. And it was, it was pretty clear that this was going to be a more unique market. And I, I've heard the last couple of years as it's been slow, uh, teams are saving their money for, you know, the 2019 mm. class. I don't really buy that. Teams spend their money on what they need in the moment they need it. But this was, this class of players was going to get paid and it is clear they are getting paid because they're great players. And in most cases, especially in the cases of a Rendon or a Cole, they're relatively young guys for, for, you know, for players who've accomplished what they've accomplished. So, you know, we expected a big market. It's, it's even bigger than we expected, but that's usually what happens when you trap thousands of baseball people in a hotel for three days with, (laughs) with checkbooks and (laughs) pens, you know, it's uh you, you want these players and, and the, the conversations that go back and forth, we're all super competitive people. And when it goes from five years to six years, you find it tolerable. When it goes from Mm -hmm. six to seven, you start biting your fingernails. And I've been there and, and you, but you're constantly pushing the envelope to get your white whale. And, and if you get them, you feel like you just conquered the world. And, and, and then you have to go back and look at your roster and say, oh, my gosh, what did we do because we have to fill in all these other holes and we just took, <laughs> yeah. it, it took three weeks trying to take care of this and spend 80% of our budget on wow. one thing.
4: Well, Scott Boris knocking on your door. Looking down the road, do you think this free agent crop, is this an exception just in terms of how many, the players you mentioned, is this going to be an exception, you think, when you look down the road to free agency in, in years to come I, I
0: think it will there 's every year there are always you know one or two marquee players on a free agent market. This year, you could argue there were six or eight yeah. that that really yeah. stood out there 's still a couple out there, guys like Josh Donaldson and Dallas Keuchel, r- really good players, great players uh, that has been atypical lately and uh, in more and I, more and more it is about those players and, and many of them signing contract extensions in their mid-20s when they have somewhere between one and three years of major league service that take them through the first couple of years of free agency and and i think that has generally uh had an effect on how quickly the market's going because now it's two players and two players with 30 teams chasing mm-hmm. them effectively are you know it's it it's they can sit and wait for the deal to come to them. <laughs> yeah. When it's six or eight and, and there are 30 teams fighting over them and and the money moves faster, as I th- generally think that's what happened. And uh, I would not ex- expect that this is going to be the norm. But, uh, but when there are th- players of this ilk on the market, I, d- I think it will fly just the way it did now.
1: Visiting with Mariners GM Jerry Depoto here on our first edition of Hot Stove live from the Mariners Team Store here at Bellevue Square. We'll be back with Jerry as Hot Stove continues after these messages.
4: Back to more of the Hot
0: Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports App.
1: A little cool outside, uh, maybe a little bit rainy, but we are nice and warm inside here at Bellevue Square at the Mariners Team Store for our first edition of Hot Stove. Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, and our special guest, Mariners GM Jerry DePoto. And Jerry, it's time to give something away. That's what we do here because it's the holiday season. We're going to ask a trivia question to our uh, listening radio audience, and if they get the answer right, they're going to receive. How about this, A Mariners pajama set, cozy up with your family this year, and matching pajamas available for the entire family. The value is $55. So the question is, because Jerry is here, what year did Jerry Depoto make his Major League debut and with what team? What year? What team? Did this gentleman right here make his Major League debut, Jerry Depoto? If you know the answer, call 866-979-3776. That's 866 866- Nine seven nine three seven seven six three seven seven six. Call right now. Jerry knows, so don't say anything.
0: <laughs> this one, so I'm of.
1: <laughs> Jerry knows the answer to this. Visited with Mariners GM Jerry Depoto, and Jerry, uh, uh, it wasn't that long ago where you you traded a lot of veterans to really bolster up this organization. I think you did the right thing at the right time, getting young players like Jared. Kelnick and many, many others, I think 23 young players in the system this year, from A ball to double-A, low-A to high-A, double-A, triple-A, made the all-star team. We saw a lot of young players here. Baseball, as you know, as well as anybody, is very cyclical. And it seems like it wasn't that long ago. The Houston Astros were losing 100 games three consecutive seasons. The Chicago White Sox did this. And now you're seeing the White Sox and teams like the Cincinnati Reds as well Go after free agents and make trades. They resigned Jose Abreu. Uh, they uh, signed uh, Yasmani Grandel and others. Cincinnati signing Mike Moustakis. How encouraging is that to see other clubs do this, go through that? The Chicago Cubs did it as well. They eventually won a World Series. Houston winning the World Series. To see now those teams, after going through what you know you did for this organization, to do what they're doing right now.
0: I think that that's our plan, and 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 we've talked about it. We wanted to do it at, at a faster rate, and part of how we did that was we targeted players who were further along in their careers as we acquired them. But the the teams you just named, and you could throw the Nationals in Nationals there as well. Too, right. You know, I mean, three years in a row where they had the top pick in the draft, and mm-hmm. and and just culminated with uh, it, it had to be five different postseason appearances, and then a World Series. So. Um, but, that's the way we see this playing out. And, and would, we would prefer to move at a quicker rate of, uh, of, of development. We think that started when the young players, starting with JP Crawford last May, but JP Crawford, Shed Long, you know, Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn, what I think is a great debut by Kyle Lewis in yeah. September. What we will see next year when we start seeing the next wave of players show, up, show up, guys like Evan White, and then we think Logan Gilbert and potentially Jared Kelnick. A host of talented young relievers it's it's a really nice young club and we went in one year's time from the the the, what what was widely regarded as the 30th farm system among the 30 and now partly because we traded the players to stay in some kind of competitive window and partly because we didn't have a lot of players in the system and and we went from 30 to now i think generally regarded among the top 10 and You know, I think that we believe that by the time the the rankings come out in in January, early February, that we will have made up even more ground with some of what happened with our draft and international classes last year. So we're excited about where we are. We do see ourselves on that path. We just hope we're a little further down that path than when many of these teams started their
4: rebuilds.
3: You've got a lot of young players that are going to play for you next year. I, I thought very interesting some of the coaching moves you made, bringing up your own coaches that have got experience with these guys and you've got experience with them what are the things that you need to do to handle a big group of young players like that
0: communicate yeah, communicate well it's connecting with players and in, in a, on a wavelength that works for them and you know the the coaches that we brought through our system carson vitale who will be our new major league field coordinator pete woodworth who will be our new pitching coach they are first of all, we know them. Uh, they've gone through, in Pete's case, a four-year interview uh, in the Mariners organization, and in, in Carson's case, worked with me in my last stop, and has also worked here with us for the last almost three years here with the Mariners. Wonderful baseball people. They're young, they're energetic, they're thoughtful. They they have already developed relationships with our young players there 's a trust and an ease in which they communicate, and you know at the end of the day, coaching is still about relationships it 's about taking the information, taking the data, taking the experiences you have, pulling it into a ball, and then going and, uh, and approaching it through the lens of mentor of friend of uh, of support staff that it 's not just here you go here 's the, the the information run with it it 's not that simple and you know that 's coaching in any time, but that is particularly true of players today and you don 't have a lot of time to connect with a player, and when I say you don 't have a lot of time, I mean in each individual conversation, you know it goes quick it goes in whatever you know i 'm not entirely sure off the top of my head how many characters are involved in in a tweet, but that 's about how much time you have to get a to get a point across and and then you only have that player here in your system for six or six plus years and, and and the the ability to craft relationships at the earliest stage make sure that by time they get to the prime years of their career they're fully built out they trust what you're telling them the information you provide isn't questioned it's it's believed because they trust you that's coaching to me
2: you know one of the things that we started today talking about the free agents and the signings and there's been some monsters out there so far this winter and there'll probably be some more as we move along but i i think that one of the things that interests me as you talk about the young players is getting these guys wrapped up, and we'll talk about Evan White. Um, I can remember, Jerry, when I was breaking into the big leagues, and I'll never forget it, but the Cleveland Indians went out, and Jim Tomey, and they signed him to a three- or four-year deal at the time, and he he barely had a cup of coffee. And at the time he was playing third, he moves over to first, but I thought, "I, I don't understand this at all, and it turned out to be obviously a great thing, and Cleveland was a very good ball club for a long time. And it seems that as you're looking at all these big free agents, other clubs are trying to jump on board, and you certainly have, with Evan and some of these other young players. Is that something we can anticipate happening more over the next year or two?
0: That is our goal. And uh, it's funny you bring it up. This might be a cheater for the, the trivia question you asked. <laughs> but, uh, Listen, you know, folks. That's where I came up. You know, I, I came up with, with the Indians in that generation. Jim Tomey was my teammate for six years, through the minor leagues, onto the big leagues, and and Cleveland started doing that and you know Dan O'Dowd the assistant general manager he was my farm director uh, when I first started there he became the, the assistant GM of the Indians and then ultimately was my general manager uh, both as a player and as a as a staffer with the Rockies and John Hart who had a wonderful run as yeah. a general manager with the Indians then the Rangers and more recently as the president of the Braves it, they began that process of engaging with the young players on the roster and did it uh, across the board, did it with Jim Tomey, did it with Carlos Baerga, did it with Sandy Alomar, did it with some guys that didn't quite click, guys like Scott Scudder and Dennis Cook and Jack Armstrong. And, and you know, lo and behold, it, it, it really worked to stabilize a roster in a city that at that time, much like the Mariners were 30 years ago, uh, there was not a lot stability with the cleveland indians during the old cleveland municipal stadium days they were equally as big a threat to fly to, to florida and, and become the tampa bay indians so that was a, a, a seminal moment in the history of that franchise and and i was there i saw it and we had talked about it a lot internally there's in any extension you do it, even with a 26 or 28 year old prime year player there is inherent risk when you sign that player to an extension for for both the player and the club. The player may be short-selling what he's going to be worth in four or five years. The club may be overextending on a player who doesn't quite reach that potential or suffers some type of injury. We are going to the next extreme, which is to, to lock up our players at a very early stage in their career, because we believe in the humans, we want to build stability in Seattle, especially after a four year stretch, or the last three, four years, where we have had so many transactions, so much movement around a stable core of of older players, we want to shift the the paradigm and make it about these young players, which we hope appeals to our fans, we know it will create a, a camaraderie in the clubhouse, and there's every one of those players because I know I did this when Jim Tomey got his deal, and I know the other ten players that were like us did the same. Man, you think they'll give me one of those deals? I'm in on that.
2: <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I'm the same way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were. That's it. We were all in, and, and and I think this generation of player will feel the same way. The numbers are much bigger, but yep. you know the the players that, that we that we hope to do this with are very talented, and we believe a long part of our future.
2: Does that change? Maybe not. Not Evan. But just young players in general, when you make that commitment, does that change their timeline? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a, and, and I think largely because now they have time to go through success and failure. I, I'm generally one to believe it, it takes time to, to get over the bridge and, and and become a good big leaguer for some guys. It's... And these are all very talented players, but most of the the, the, the super talented guys, and Evan is among them, and I could name 10 or 12 others that we have that are on the brink right now that I think are in that class. If you throw them into the deep end of the pool, they figure out how to swim. You know, it may take the, the hitters 150, 350, or even 500 plate appearances, but they figure it out. It might take the starting pitchers 75, 100, 150 innings, but they figure it out. Very rare does it take three years, four years for them to figure it out. The guys that are taking that long usually don't figure it out. Right. So our, our general hope here is to, to accelerate the, the timeline for these guys, get them all into the big leagues in, in 2020, mm-hmm. give them their experiences, because our hope is that 2021 and beyond, we're a competitive contending type team. And it certainly
2: yeah. takes a bit of pressure off of them also. I don't I mean, they know they, they can, can fail yeah, yeah,
0: without yeah. feeling like they're going back to the minor leagues tomorrow or that they don't know how they're going yeah. to pay the bills.
1: And I think you did it with the right kid. I went down to Arizona in October and had a chance to visit with Evan White in the clubhouse. You did it with the right kid. Visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry DiPoto. We're going to be back with Jerry as Hot Stove continues live from the Mariners Team Store in Bellevue Square after this time out. And again, welcome back to the Mariners Team Store here in Bellevue. It's the Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, along with our special guest, Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto, And we have a winner in the the, uh, trivia contest uh, tonight. Uh, The question was... when did Jerry Depoto make his Major League debut and with what team? Jerry, why don't you go ahead and give the
0: folks the in answer. The 1993 Cleveland Indians. Are you as, sure? As a, I, <laughs> I'm certain. As a teammate of uh, Jim Tomey, just as, as Blow said.
1: When did you come up and who was the first batter you faced?
0: Uh, I came up on, on my Major League debut was May 11th. And uh, I, the first batter I faced was Mike McFarlane. Oh. And, and my, my indoctrination into the big leagues was they brought me in in the eighth inning with a two to one lead for a team that was terror. We were bad (laughs) Um, with a two to one lead in the eighth inning with Mike McFarlane up and two outs. And, uh, and I went Oh, and two immediately throwing two breaking balls, which was really not how I would have ever expected my first big league outing to go. And, uh, and then I I threw him a fastball in. I didn't get it in far enough. Uh, You got a hit. I blew my first big league save on my first hitter and got it out of the way. It wasn't the last. (laughs) But I'll never forget. Hey, you made your major league
1: debut. That's the answer. And the winner was uh, Charles Oliver. Uh, Charles Charles Oliver from Puyallup is the winner tonight in our trivia question. And Charles wins the uh, Mariners pajama set. So, again, cozy up with your entire family this year in matching pajamas. Jerry already, he, as a matter of fact, he's wearing them tonight here at the mall. Available. As it works
0: out, I do have the pajamas. <laughs> with do the you feet, really? The whole nine yards. My, my, Ken, my family Tammy? bought them for me, my son, and my son-in-law. Uh, on Christmas two years ago. Awesome. I, I will say that they were, I felt like a bit of a dork wearing them with the feet in oh, them. Oh, nice But now warm. I find them crazy comfortable, and I wear them around the house.
1: <laughs> there you go, Charles. That's what you have to look forward to. Charles <laughs> Oliver from Puyallup is our winner. It's uh, available for the entire family, value of $55. So congratulations. Our first uh, trivia winner on Mariner's Hot Stove. Uh, visiting with Mariner's GM Jerry Depoto, And, Jerry, you were busy before. Uh, the winter meetings got underway. Tell us a little bit. I'm going to throw out some names right here uh, uh, to help out uh, in the 2020 season. You pick up a free agent. First of all, right-handed pitcher Kendall Graveman. Tell me a little bit about Kendall. Last year, he was with the Cubs organization, appeared in just one ball game, but it wasn't that long ago with Oakland. He had a pretty good year with 31 starts.
0: You know, you know Kendall from 2015 to 2017 was – Probably about as league average as you could get as a major league starter. Steady Eddie, ground ball pitcher, not going to be big gaudy strikeout totals. Throws in the low mid-90s with heavy sink, good breaking ball. Makeup is off the charts. Pretty good athlete. And like so many, he wound up going through Tommy John surgery at the tail end of the 2018 season. Missed all or well most of the 2019 season came back at the very end uh, to pitch a handful of outings between rehab and, and the Cubs. And we, what I think we did was we bought a real major league starting pitcher as he's bouncing back from injury. And he's just 29 years old this year, uh, has all of those same elements. We're going to have to be patient as he starts to get back into uh, his the command of the baseball and maintaining or working into inning load. But we're confident that he can do that, and so far, can't say enough about the the quality of the person.
1: Those are the kind of guys you're looking at uh, from now until the start of spring training and the start of the the season. Veteran guys looking for a bounce back year, a, a down year from last year, or coming back from an injury, a chance to help out and give this ball club some innings and starts.
0: Exactly, and uh, you know what we we view ourselves as as the land of opportunity right now. We huh. we do have a, a handful of young players that we want to provide opportunity. We also want to tap into guys like Kendall Graveman. I know one of the guys we could mention is, is CJ Edwards. Uh, these are guys that, you know, Kendall Graveman has two years of club control left. He's 29 years old. CJ Edwards is uh, still has two, three years of club control left, and, and he's 28 years old. Uh, with, it throws up to 98, 99 miles an hour with plus-plus spin on a breaking ball. He didn't have a good 2019, and, and generally speaking, that's how we got him, and we right now have to be open to the idea that if we invest, it's almost like a venture capital exercise. Damn. If we invest in three, four, five of these guys and our medical team, our training team, our pitching team, all does the right thing. And, and we put these guys in a position to succeed. If we hit on even one of them, that becomes part of what we do moving beyond 2020. It was a home run for the Mariners.
3: Jerry, looking even a further ahead, uh, I think when the big signings were coming down at the winter meetings, if you've been following along, you know that, well, that's not your program this year. It's other teams' time to do that. At some point, it will be more your time to make the bigger moves. Is that still tough to sit there and see those things happen, or what are you thinking when that's going on in relation to your club?
0: You know, it, This year for us, it was fun. It, it, like it was, I think, for the general baseball fan. As you're watching and, and you, you see the next – move come up, the next signing come up, or the next rumor uh, on the baseball network, Whatever you're watching your news, and, and we're sitting there watching in the suite, and, and it, your, your mouth drops open, like, oh, this is unbelievable. That, that, to us, was fun. You know, we have, for the time that I've been here, you know, part of the reason why we have made so many trades, and, and certainly we lead all of baseball in, in the number of trades that we have made since 2016. I think there are only three teams in the league that have spent less money than us in free agency, which is the other side of the scale. So we have, we have opted to build our team through draft and trade rather than going out on the free agent market, largely because we had a really high-priced core of older players that we were trying to build around. We do envision now that we've changed the paradigm, and it is now built around a group of young players as they start to develop when we move into 2021 and beyond, we're doing it with a very flexible and open payroll. That, uh, and we said it as, as we were sitting jokingly talking to agents in, in San Diego. Uh, we don't need to talk to you about so-and-so. We're here to talk to you about such-and-such. Mm. So-and-so will be next year for us. I promise we'll be sitting in this room talking about those types of players. And, and we do believe that that starts for us perhaps as early as the second half of this year with the trade deadline in, in forward-thinking ways, but maybe more so off-season 2020 headed into twenty one. You
3: said that a couple of times. You got your eye on somebody at the deadline. Uh, you, just,
0: you have to take advantage of opportunity <laughs> if it comes. <laughs>
2: I, think, I think the one thing for, for me, just thinking about it and, and us being here right now thinking back a year ago, Jerry, one of the things that you have been when you've been on the air with us whether it's tv or radio is really honest and you told us exactly what was going to happen last winter um and you followed right through with that and i think that for the fans that are out there they all get it and they know it but once you start to go through it it can be really difficult which it was at times last year and you've even said that so fast forward now to where we're at what do we expect this year what do you want to see from this club because you're gonna have so many young players that be a big part of this team What do you want to see on the field this year? What kind of improvements do you want to see from them as they move forward?
0: First, we want to see individual success stories. We want to see young players get better. Get better at doing the small things, get better at the nuances of the game. Uh, we would like to see guys get comfortable at the, in this league and you're going to go through the, it's almost like a tennis match. You know, you, you you serve, you you volley and eventually your, your opponent figures you out and they're going to make adjustments to your game and you have to go uh, figure out a new way, you know, to, to, I guess return the volley in a different way than than it was coming before. But we want to see the players learn how to start making those adjustments. We are are not anticipating being a 90-100 win team. And, you know, we're looking at last year as last year was unfortunate. We thought we would be better than we were. And whether it's due to talent issues, due to injury struggles, we did come in short of what we thought we were going to be able to do in 2019. But 2020 was always going to be about where we are today. We knew when we acquired guys like Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion and, and the like that they were, they were going to touch down on our roster for a year or so and then we were going to move toward this young group. And that's the moment we're in now. Young teams can be very unpredictable. Uh, This is a young, talented, and energetic team. Uh, We don't think that we're gonna be able to compete day to day with teams like Houston and Oakland and and certainly with what the Angels have been able to do with their offense. But we do believe that we're starting to make up ground on what we envision as a long-term success. And we talked about it off air not too long ago, you give good young players a chance and some runway to run mm-hmm, with, and yep. you will be surprised how quickly they catch on. And, and we really do believe that if we allow them that experience this year, that we are going to be paid back in spades 2021 and beyond.
1: I think one of those kids last year was uh, Kyle Lewis at the end of the season. My goodness, home runs in his first three games, uh, six home runs in his first ten. So my question is, yes, last year was, was a kind of a long season. You kind of expected that. But you saw some good things, too. Marco Gonzalez, I thought, had a heck of a year. 16 wins, one of the most in the American League, with 200 innings pitched. And as I mentioned, Kyle Lewis, Austin Nola pretty much came off the scrap heap and and gave you strength behind home plate, but ended up being the starting first baseman. For you, looking at this ball club last year and what you saw toward the end of the year with a lot of young players getting an opportunity, what were some of your highlights from last season, Jerry.
0: My highlights. It starts with our catchers. You know, I think our catchers did a phenomenal job all year long. And you know, obviously we've we've moved uh, Omar this off season in in what we thought was a longer term uh, decision for us. But Tom Murphy, the job that yeah. he did after picking him up with a very early season trade, just as the season was getting underway. All uh, you mentioned, Austin Nola, they, they stabilized our catching. I think there was only one team in the American League that, that produced more war for the catcher position than we did. And, and we did it across the board. Uh, you know, we, did it with, we did it with power. We did it with batting average. We got on base. You know, they were all super encouraging. And we're really excited to move forward with, with Murph and with Nola and with the developing Cal Raleigh, who we think yeah. is going to come pretty quickly. Uh, I was really happy with that. I was very happy with the stability to see Marco go out. I think he had a very good 2018 season, and he went and doubled down on it. Had another really solid season, really solidified that he is a part of what we were doing, not just in the short term, but we think in the long term. He wants to be a mariner. He loves to to be in a leadership position, and, and hopefully we are putting him in a position to do that as we move ahead. That was exciting. Uh, I I thought it was a blast each time one of these kids came up. JP, Shed Long, Kyle Lewis, every time one of the, the new guys walked out on the field, y- you felt like this is this is cool. Yeah, and and felt I, excited for you them. You did. And, and and I was I was talking in the office today with a couple of our of our office people and, and John Stanton walked into the office and we were looking at a whiteboard with a couple of ideas because that's generally what we they do start. with our day. You know, yeah, it's a yeah. goodwill hunting in there. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, I said that this is fun. And, and I have to say, I've said this, uh, I've said it aloud. I know some of you have heard me say it before. I, I've, I've been working on this side of baseball now for 20 years, and this is the most fun I've ever had doing my job. I love the, the idea of acquiring and developing young yeah. players, giving them opportunity. And it is painful to go through the up and downs, the, the losses that you don't expect. Many of the losses that you do expect, and in the end, it is so rewarding to watch them improve and to, to have a, a hopeful vision of what comes next I think yeah. is the most important thing.
2: You mentioned Lewis, um, Shed Long, um, even Jake Fraley, who was up unfortunately ended up getting hurt. The one thing that I look at this club is as you move forward and you evaluate these guys and they continue to learn is J.P. Crawford at shortstop. Um, he's the one out of all the young guys that's going to be a part of this that had the most time, if you will, at the big league level, and he had some up and down last year and really showed a lot of potential. What's the next step for him?
0: Uh, the next step for J.P. was just going home and getting stronger. You know, it's a J.P. is a very wiry, thin, athletic guy. Uh, when he came to the big leagues, you know, the, the arrival of J.P. Crawford in May and the return of Kyle Seager toward the end of the month, early, late May, early June – that, that stabilized what was maybe the most difficult part of watching last year's Mariners was our defense in the first half. And, and then, lo and behold, our defense in the second half was one of the better defensive clubs in the league. And credit to Perry Hill for the wonderful work that he does, but credit to the talented players and JP among them. Uh, we sent JP home with a very clear program on how we could help him get stronger. And he's put in the time. He lives down in Arizona. He's over at the facility in Peoria for recent check-ins. He was just here in Seattle last week for our leadership summit, and he looks terrific. He, he looks strong. He's got a good grip. He looks in tune with what we're doing. And that was the biggest thing for him because, you know, what we saw out of JP in May and June wasn't a mirage. You now what we saw from him in August and September also wasn't a mirage in a 162 game season, you have to be prepared and bodily strong enough to get through that long grind. What we saw early is what he's capable of. What we saw late is how he could get better. And, and that's one of the nuances of developing players is not to immediately get down on them, it's to identify where you can help and then help. And James Clifford and our strength team, Derek Cantini, we've drawn up programs for, for JP and JP's been pretty aggressive in taking advantage of it and on his own. Uh, because he knows this is important.
1: With so many young players uh, that we saw last year, and a lot on the way. You mentioned a few names like Cal Raleigh, and so many others. Uh, you know, coming up through the organization, Logan Gilbert, and and uh, many others. You, you're looking at a couple of veterans to kind of lead the way right here. Mitch Haniger. I, I love what this kid did a couple of years ago. Was an All Star for you, the best player in this club. Unfortunately, got hurt last year, and missed most of the season. Talking with Mitch, how excited is he? To really take this group under his wing, along with a Kyle Sigur and now a Marco Gonzalez, to help these kids move forward in the organization and the, at the big league level.
0: You know, I think if if you spend time around Mitch, Mitch's gift is his focus. Yeah. He is the, perhaps among the most focused players I've ever come across. And he leads in, in many non-vocal ways. He's, he leads by how he works. He leads by his, his thought process. He, he leads by his commitment to what he's doing. And, and he's fully confident in what that is. And if our, players can ju- our young players can just watch and and pull something from yeah. the way he goes about his business, he's the type of player who can lead really without saying much. Yeah. And you know, Edgar a Strikes me as that guy yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. in, in his time, and, and you know, there are there are nuances to to Mitch that are, other players won't be able to to do some of the things or maintain some of the focus that he maintains. But if they can pick up fifty yeah. percent of it, we're better off for it.
1: Visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry, we want to thank you for spending the first hour on our first hot stove uh, show of the 2019 season as we get ready for 2020. Welcome back again from sunny San Diego at the winter meetings. And I uh, look forward to spring training and the warmth of Peoria, Arizona. I can't wait, buddy.
0: It's I'm going to be an exciting looking, spring. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now I'm really for, ready for the baseball season get down to Peoria. Jerry, thanks for coming by.
0: All right, Rick. Thanks, guys.
1: Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto visiting with us here on Hot Stove. Rick Riz, Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. Stay tuned for the second hour coming your way. We're going to visit with the new uh, pitching coach, Pete Woodforth, uh, with the Mariners in the second hour. So stay tuned. Hot Stove continues live from Bellevue Square in the Mariners team store. Stay with us.